You're listening to Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. Here's what's coming up in today's edition. Speak truthfully. We're commanded to speak truthfully to each other. It may be harder on the front end, and it, and it is, because you've got to get your courage up and say, we're going to have to talk about this. We've got to talk about We've got an issue we need to discuss. And instead of ducking and dodging and denying and hiding and putting your head in the ground like an ostrich, we're going to talk this through. It may be more difficult on the front end, but believe me, if you don't do it, it's more difficult on the back end because it will pop up and it will cause a problem. As a Christian, when you're among other believers, do you confront your issues? Do you bring up the burdens that are holding you hostage? Or do you ignore them and pretend that everything is okay? Today, Pastor Jeff wants you to know that the only way to grow in your faith is by being open and honest with the body of Christ. Even when you think everything is okay by hiding your sin, it's it's only gonna cause more destruction in the long run. Give it all to God and be renewed by His promises. Well, let's join Pastor Jeff in the book of Psalms, chapter 101, as he begins his message, How to Have a Good Fight. Well, we've been talking about uh, several things the last few weeks, home improvement, because the home is under attack. We've addressed the danger of anger in the home, how dangerous it is to have an angry person in the home. Got to handle the anger and the importance of listening wisely, being a wise listener, listening for what the real issue is and not the surface issue. And then we talked about talking wisely, using your speech wisely in the home, because words are powerful. Death and life are in the power of what you say. And then today, I want to deal with how to have a good fight, because the greatest book of wisdom and philosophy in the entire world, which is this book right here, the Bible, greatest philosophy book, it'll not only lead you to salvation, but it is the greatest book for life and living in the world. It is filled with the wisdom of God. And God has uh, put in his word all kinds of principles that teach us how to have a good disagreement. Now, Paul said, I fought a good fight. I kept the faith. I finished my course. There is a good fight and there is a bad fight. A bad fight does not work the righteousness of God. It doesn't settle anything. It doesn't solve anything. It doesn't fix anything. A good fight, you can have one with the wisdom of God, guiding and directing it where things are actually solved, fixed, repaired, put on a good path, and you can move along with God's peace afterwards. So we're going to look today at how to have a good fight. Now, it's no surprise to any of you here today that the American family is under vicious attack. I want you to consider the following. In 1903, a century ago and some change, 1903, the divorce rate was one out of 100 marriages in 1903. One century later, 2003, the divorce rate was up about 53% or roughly one out of two called it quits, walked to court, drove to court, fought to court and ended it. Now, those stats say to me, Jesus, help us, because the home is the foundation of any culture. And if the home is destroyed, the culture is destroyed. It's that simple. We've seen that the mother load of trouble in the home 
can be laid at the feet of faulty communication. It all comes down to how you communicate. Faulty communication produces all kinds of turmoil in the home. I've told you before, I'll tell you again today, that I tell my staff a lot that 98% of church problems aren't problems at all. They are communication issues. And when you get to the bottom of the communication, you find that that's what's causing the turmoil, not what you thought the problem was. And it's the same in the home. Most home problems are communication-based. I really encourage you to grab those CDs. It'll be worth your time because we talk about communication every week. But it's a fact that couples argue, even couples that are deeply in love. Good old Shakespeare said, the course of true love never did run smooth. It doesn't. And I want to tell you today, there are three ways you can respond in a disagreement to each other. There's three ways you can respond. Clamming up, blowing up, or wising up. One of those three. You can deny the problem, act like it's not there, clam up, keep it to yourself, not talk about things, but eventually it's going to blow. Or you can blow up. Maybe you're one of these people that when things get tense, you just explode. Well, that's not the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God is that we wise up, that we learn how to handle a disagreement in the home in a way that brings peace and resolve and solutions. I found it interesting that a research team at the University of Denver identified two factors as they studied marriages that accurately predict whether a marriage is going to survive or fail. And what they looked at was this, not whether a couple argues, but how the couple argues. Because every couple is going to have a disagreement somewhere along the way. They were concerned with not whether it happened, but how it happened, how the two players involved handled the disagreement. And two factors rose to the top that proved to be especially dangerous to that marriage. Here they are. The first was escalation. Escalation occurs when a person says something negative and their spouse responds in kind with an even harsher statement. This leads to an argument that only spirals down to greater levels of anger and frustration. Oh yeah, will you say that to me? Well, I can give you worse. And there you go, and it's a fist fight, and the gloves are off. Now this is especially dangerous. One of the partners finally says something like this. Well, if that's the way you feel, maybe I should just move out. And the other one says, well, I think I know where the suitcase is. And it escalates. So everybody say with me, escalation. They found that to be one of the great indicators of a future divorce. And here's the second one. The second deadly factor was invalidation. This is so important because this has to do with the words we speak to each other. Watch this. This means putting each other down, calling one another names, or making personal comments or insults about the other. You invalidate the other person with put-downs. Well, you're just a this, and you're just a that. You're just like your mama. Well, you're just like your dad. And on and on it goes, and it escalates, and then you begin invalidating and shooting them down and ruining their self-worth and ruining their sense of value. So instead of escalating or invalidating or clamming up or blowing up, let's wise up and see what the Bible says about how to have a good 
argument, a good fight, a good disagreement. Here they are. And if I were you, I would write these down. You may want to go back to them. You probably will go back to them. I hope you go back to them. Here they are. First, don't let problems simmer. This is the clamming up part. Don't let problems simmer. Because if you let something simmer, here's what you're doing. You're not talking about it. And because you're not talking about it, it's deep down inside like a volcano. As a matter of fact, a simmering problem is like a firecracker that though the fuse be long, it will sooner or later explode. Problems don't just go away. Problems are solved. Problems don't go away. They are fixed. Problems don't go away. They are resolved. The Bible says... Instead of letting something simmer, it says in Ephesians 4.25, Therefore, let each of you, or each of you must put off falsehood, must put off falsehood in the home. Don't go around saying, no, there's nothing wrong when something is. Don't say, I'm okay when you're not. The Bible says that church people, Christian people, those that love the Lord, should put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. And there's no closer neighbor than those you live with. For we are all members of one body. And I could change that and say we are all members of one family. So the Bible, instead of letting something simmer, the Bible encourages speak truthfully. We're commanded to speak truthfully to each other. It may be harder on the front end, and it, may, and it is, because you've got to get your courage up and say, we're going to have to talk about this. We've got to talk about, we've got an issue we need to discuss. Instead of ducking and dodging and denying and hiding and putting your head in the ground like an ostrich, we're going to talk this through. It may be more difficult on the front end, but believe me, if you don't do it, it's more difficult on the back end because it will pop up and it will cause a problem. Listen, have no secrets from each other. Speak the truth with each other. Now here's the next thing. Second, choose your battles wisely. You've probably seen the prayer that says, grant me the wisdom to accept the things that I cannot change. I think that's a prayer for marriages and for homes. Help me, Lord, to have the wisdom to accept the things that I cannot change. Or let me just add a little bit to it that don't really need to be changed. One of the major challenges of marriage is learning what can and should be changed and what should be overlooked. What can you live with and what can't you live with? Don't make a mountain out of a molehill. We can make a big deal out of small things and in the process ruin our relationship. You know, Jesus talked about straining at a gnat and swallowing a camel. You can strain at a small thing. You can make a big deal out of a small thing Straining at a gnat, and you can swallow the camel, ruin a relationship by straining at that gnat. There are some things we need to leave alone. Church theologian Augustine left us a great little formula for peace in the church, and I think it's also good for peace in the home. Here's what he said. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In everything, charity. That's good stuff. Now... Catch that in essentials, you got to have unity. The essentials for any Christian home would be honoring the Lord Jesus in the home, prayer, church attendance. Those are essentials. Those are non-negotiables. Those are things that you cannot blink at if they're taking place in your home. Uh, it would be an essential to not allow sin to dominate in a Christian home. That's an essential. That's a non-negotiable. But there's all kinds of non-essentials we fight about all the time. 
Non-essentials will be the 90% of things that couples bicker about that should be overlooked. The way your partner makes the bed or clears the table or butters the toast or doesn't butter the toast or flips the eggs. Those little mannerisms that bug or irritate you and you allow that to become a fight when the Bible says, overlook it, overlook it, overlook it. Choose your battles wisely. Don't let the small stuff become fodder for a fight. The Bible says sensible people control their temper and they earn respect by overlooking faults. The Bible says that the glory of a man is to overlook a transgression. So there's some things, listen, just overlook it. Just smile and look the other way. Leave their socks on the floor. Don't clean them up after themselves. Uh, just little things that just, you say, if they do it one more time, it's going to drive me nuts. Overlook it. It's a small thing. Don't strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. Amen? Say with me, overlook it. And then third, don't say everything you think. <laughs> If, if you want to have a good fight, <laughs> I can tell you, if you want to have a bad fight, say everything you think. But if you want to have a good fight, don't say everything you think. The Bible warns when words are many, sin is not absent. Somebody said once, and I love this, never pass up an opportunity to keep your mouth shut. There are some things that are better left unsaid, at least at the moment. Now, I told you in the first point, speak the truth. But now I'm going to balance that out. Speak the truth with wisdom. The Bible says, listen to this. You didn't know this was in the Bible. I'll bet you. A fool utters all his mind, but a wise man keeps it in till afterwards. Keeps it in for a better moment uses wisdom and when they're truthful, how they're truthful, what their tone is, how they come over with it. The fool blurts out whatever is in his heart without thinking about the manner in which he says it, without thinking about the way it will be received, without thinking about whether this is the time or the setting to bring it up, without thinking about whether or not the recipient is mature enough to handle what you're about to share. A person of understanding doesn't speak all of their heart until the right time. The Bible says, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and frames of silver. Fitly would mean a word spoken, spoken with wisdom at the right time, in the right way, with the right measure. Well, I'm just being honest, Pastor Jeff. Well, use wisdom with your honesty. There's nothing sacred about unrehearsed, unwise honesty. Wrap it in wisdom if you want to have a good fight. Can they handle this right now? Should I say this right now? I'm going to measure my words. I'm going to use wisdom. Now, fourth, state your feelings very clearly. Listen, this is so important. State your feelings clearly. Most anger comes from feelings of either fear or hurt. You, know, you can walk in and your spouse can be mad clanging things around, banging things around, speaking to you sharply. What's the matter? I just had a bad day. Do you know that most of the time when they say that, that's not why they're that way? There's the stated reason and there's the real reason. So you say, rather than going into character assassination 
or the blame game or yelling at each other or really say, well, if you're going to yell at me, I'm going to yell at you. If you want to have a fight, I'm, I'm here. I'm in the ring with you. You say, tell me, let, let's sit down for a second. Tell me why you're feeling the way you're feeling. Let me give you, for instance, the wife says to the husband, when you're on the road and you don't call, I feel lonely and I feel rejected. And that's why I'm mad. And that's why I'm barking at you. And that's why I'm nagging. I'm not just doing it to do it, but if you really want to know, that's the reason. Or here's another example. When you leave in the morning without kissing me goodbye, it makes me feel insecure about your feelings. So that's why I'm mad. That's why I'm kind of distracted. See, the Bible says that the wise man will draw the truth out of somebody's heart. It's a matter of sitting down and listening and saying, what's the real issue? Why are you really angry? What's, what's going on with you? Stating why you feel the way you do will keep the disagreement on the right track so you're not chasing rabbits. Let's be sure we're dealing with the real issue here and not the surface issue. So state your feelings clearly right up front. Here's why I'm feeling the way I'm feeling. Next, make a conscious decision to keep anger under control. As soon as the volume level rises, that discussion is over with. Because if you're going to start screaming and yelling and raising your voice and threatening and making accusations, it's over. There is no healing, no resolve, no fixing it. You have now gone off into the flesh. So you've got to make a conscious decision to keep anger under control. In your anger, the Bible says, do not sin. Get rid of all rage. Get rid of all anger. Lay it down. Put it down. Don't let your anger get the best of you. Say this to yourself. I will not empower anybody to make me angry. You can do what you want, but you can't make me get angry at you. If I fly off the handle and lose my temper and begin to scream and yell, I'm the one who gave in and I'm the one who's doing it. Nobody has the power to make you angry unless you let them. So say to yourself at the beginning of the discussion, no matter what is said, no matter where this goes, I am not going to get angry. I'm not going to get angry. Remember what James said, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everybody should be very quick to listen, very slow to speak, and very slow to become angry. Proverbs 15 says, a hot-tempered man stirs up dissension, but a patient man calms a quarrel. If you stay calm, guess what? It'll, it'll go calm. But if you blow it, that's where it's going to go. Sixth, don't dwell on downers. Don't dwell on downers. The Bible says get rid of all bitterness. And why do I quote that verse? Because bitterness causes us to resurrect old, unresolved issues. And when we resurrect them, you've got a corpse standing in the middle of that argument with you that you said you forgave, you said that it was buried, but now you've resurrected from the dead an issue that should have been forgiven, forgotten for good. We're going to have a funeral. We're going to bury old offenses that never need to be resurrected again. We're going, to, we're going to say, I forgive it. I forget it for good. Can you say with me? Forgiven, forgotten, for good. But see, when you dwell on downers in the middle of a, of a disagreement, then that thing is going to go south. That discussion is going to go bad. It's going to end up in a bad argument. 
Bitterness causes us to resurrect those old things, but wisdom, on the other hand, teaches us to stick closely to the relevant issues and end the fight. If you look at unhappy couples, they turn every spat into a slippery slope of one unkind word that leads to another. Let me give you for an instance. He says, well, I guess my mistake was looking forward to a nice dinner. She says, well, if you came home on time, you might have gotten one. You care more about your job than me. He replies, well, somebody's got to make a living. She says, yeah, well, don't complain, dude. It was me that worked like a dog to put you through school. (laughs) And now where is this thing going? That kind of arguing, listen, is one of the strongest predictors of divorce. Because you're not dealing with an issue. You're pointing, you're blaming, you're resurrecting old corpses out of the grave. You're bringing stuff into it that has nothing to do with the real issue. These couples veer off into heated, unproductive fighting over old, unresolved issues. And they resolve nothing. And negative feelings rage. The tension in that home is so thick you could cut it with a butter knife. We want God in the house. Let me say that again. We want God in the house. In stable marriages, good marriages, the other partner won't always retaliate when provoked. But what they do, they find ways to diffuse the tension, to let the air out of the tire. If you dwell on downers, you're eventually going to sink. So don't dwell on downers. Next, you got to give up put downs. Give up put downs. Listen to what the Bible says. I'm going to quote a verse out of Ephesians 4 and think of this in context of the home where we want God in the house. Watch this. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth in the home, but only what is helpful for building others up in the home according to their needs. What do they need? Then you ought to be speaking to that need to build them up, that it may benefit those who listen or edify those who listen in the home. See, if it starts in the home, we bring revival into the church. I said, if it starts in the home, if we've got this kind of stuff going on at the home, what are we going to bring in these doors here? We're going to bring joy. We're going to bring peace. We're going to bring victory. We're going to bring rest. That's why we want God in the house. We want God permeating the house. We want God permeating the marriages, God permeating the parent-child relationship. We want worship in the house. We want the joy of the Lord in the house. We want worship music in the house. We want Jesus to feel right at home walking into our house. We want Jesus in the house. Where, boy, you want to go home. You can't wait to get there. Because there's going to be an atmosphere. There's there's going to be a sense of God there. One of the sad facts about close relationships is we treat the ones we love worse than we treat just about anybody else. Put-downs are especially lethal when they attack an Achilles heel. What's an Achilles heel? It's a soft spot. It's a sensitive area. A touchy subject that brings painful memories. Like if your spouse in high school days was called egghead and it really hurt them and they told you that to this day I can't stand that word, you know what you do when you get into a fight. Well, let me tell you, egghead. (laughs) 
because now the swords are out, now the gloves are off, and you're looking for whatever you can to draw blood. But you'd use the Achilles heel. But listen to what the Bible says, reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. So avoid put downs. And then learn to call a ceasefire. No matter what your home life looks like, it's safe to say that we've all gone through turmoil with the people we love at some point. What a wonderful reminder today from Pastor Jeff that if you want to move on from miscommunication in your relationships, then you need to give in to God's design for your life. The more that you let Jesus work through you, the closer you'll be to those that matter most to you. Never forget that He is always working everything for your good. Are you interested in partnering with us here at Hardwired? We'd love for you to come alongside us in supporting this ministry. All you have to do is text 817-484-4767 and enter the word GIVE to donate. That number once more is 817-484-4767 and text GIVE. Thanks so much for prayerfully considering this today and thanks for listening. Do you ever try to move on? but can't seem to get past your faults? Do you ever worry so much about fixing everything on your own that nothing ever changes? In his next message, Pastor Jeff explains that you need to turn to God if you want to move on from your past mistakes. No matter how hard you try or how good you think your life is, if you don't care of what's holding you back, you'll never be at peace. Surrender to God and give it all to Him. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for tuning in for this edition of Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. You can listen to more messages from this and other books of the Bible by visiting hardwired.org. Join us next time to continue our study in the series, Home Improvement, right here on Hardwired. Hi, everybody. This is Jeff Wickwire, host of the Hardwired broadcast, And I'm so excited to tell you about this month's offer for you, our listeners. For a gift of $40 or more, we want to send you the beautiful new Bible put out by Tyndale called Immerse, the Reading Bible. Our offer contains a beautiful, reads-like-butter New Testament featuring the New Living Translation. The Immerse Bible New Testament contains no chapters, no verses, just like the original manuscripts in which the Bible was written so that it reads more like a story. It also comes with an eight-week reading plan, maps, and a helpful summary of every New Testament book. So if you want to try a really unique approach to your daily Bible reading, just go to hardwire.org and click Donate Now to give your gift of $40 or more. We'll send you the Immerse Bible immediately. And thanks once again for your support of Hardwired. Every dollar we receive will go toward reaching the world with God's Word.